Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com and RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 257. I'm John Davis, of course, and joining me today, our senior executive producer, Dave Scrivener. Live from Boss's Garage. Hey, you look rather comfortable in there, Dave. I know you got Goss coming up. It's going to get hectic soon. Our writer, two-wheeling reporter, Brian Robinson. Live from my safe basement. <laughs> and our over-the-edge reporter, Greg Carlos, who's also the producer of the podcast. Hi, Greg. Hi, I'm also in my basement, but I don't think it's as safe as Robinson's. There's a hole <laughs> currently that I put in there. I have to patch at some point. <laughs> Uh, not out of anger, I hope. Just an accident. No, out of pure necessity. Okay. From you. Got to put all that money somewhere. Sounds like a plumbing problem. Oh, yeah. All righty. We got uh, three interesting vehicles to talk about. And the first one is the 2022 Ford Maverick compact pickup truck. And leading us off, Brian, what do we know about it? What do you think about it? I'll jump right in on this one since I talked at length about the uh, Hyundai Santa Cruz just a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And so we'll, uh, what we have here is another unibody compact size pickup based on the Escape, just like the Bronco Sport. And there is some resemblance to the Sport, but not a lot. I would say it's not exactly a looker. It looks wow, kind of, you got that right. It looks kind of soft, very anti-Super Duty. Uh, the grill and headlights, they, that's what looks like the Bronco the most. Very tall, flat. It's got the C-shaped uh, headlights. But the body panels are really uh, not flat because there is a slightly rounded shape to them, which I believe we determined in the last podcast was a youthful shape. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's got a you know full cab, four-door cab, four-and-a-half-foot bed. It's very truck-like looking, though. It's not like the Ridgeline or Santa Cruz where they're a quirky kind of El Camino looking. This looks like a real truck, like there could be a frame under underneath. Mm. Uh, Size-wise, it's about a foot shorter than the Ranger. And looking at it from the rear, it's very reminiscent of the uh, Ranger and F-150 both. Uh, so it looks like a real truck. The bed, um, it's a real truck bed. There's no in-floor storage or anything like that, like the uh, Santa Cruz has or any Tano, integrated Tano's. It's just a normal truck bed they put a few things in there to make it a little more functional uh, with dividers and stuff like that uh, but one final thing about the body it looks like a it's an injection molded piece of plastic like a model kit hmm. like the the gaps are like hardly there at all it looks it looks kind of cool in that way uh, but not real rugged uh, otherwise anyway getting to the good stuff uh, yeah. standard Standard 190 some horsepower hybrid engine. Standard 40, hybrid. Yes, 40 miles per gallon in the city. Then on top of that, it starts at just under or slightly over $20,000. So not only is it the cheapest pickup truck you can buy, but it's the cheapest hybrid of any type you can get. So uh, I don't know. We don't know what the Santa Cruz is going to cost yet. Uh, I guess maybe they're Hyundai waited for forward to announce their pricing they'll probably announce theirs real quick maybe be a little less i don't know but compared to the santa cruz um the upgraded engine in the uh maverick is a two liter EcoBoost at 250 horse uh i think the 
Santa Cruz this upgrade is a 275 horse. Uh, Santa Cruz will tow about a thousand pounds more. Um, and the if you want all wheel drive in the Maverick, uh, you got to get the two liter. The hybrid is front wheel drive only. Question, Greg. Oh, <laughs> glad you saw my hands raised. Uh, the other point about the towing that you made was um, 4,000 pounds max towing for the Maverick, which is actually only when you get the 4K towing package, right. which is like Extra. $700 or something. And you can only get that with the all-wheel drive model, which has the uh, EcoBoost. The, I think the base standard towing is 2,000 for the hybrid and uh, the EcoBoost without the 4K package. Yeah, and I didn't touch on the interior at all, but it's similar to the Bronco in that you can kind of see the shape of the original Escape, but it really looks nothing like the Escape. It's fairly unique and it uh, looks it's pretty little, good. It, it, it's a little more retro even than the, the Bronco Sport interior. I mean, you can see a few things in the center area that might be similar, but it's pretty cool looking. Dave, you, you actually tow and haul more, I think, than the rest of us combined. Any, any appeal for you with something this small? Something that small for towing. I'm, I'm towing car trailers. If you're towing a garden cart around or something to the Home Depot and back, sure, something like that would be useful. But if you've got a truck bed, the average Joe Blow gardener is going to put his stuff in the truck bed and not tow. Mm -hmm. I could see adding stuff to an SUV, like a hitch platform, things like that. But I don't see a small truck towing a trailer Maybe a jet ski. Yeah, I think that's about it. I, the price is interesting because a, a number of people have commented that this really is going to be an entry-level vehicle for Ford, answering the question, what are you doing after you're getting rid of all of your less expensive automobiles? It's, it's a pretty it's smart easy. in their target. It, it starts like Robinson said, just under 20, but I mean, $5 less than 20 before, or yeah, $5 less than 20,000 before you add in destination. It's looking like, uh, you know, the models with some, some options on them, things that people actually want are going to be around 25,000, which, you know, this day and age, isn't, it's not terrible expensive at all. That's actually pretty appealing. I think. Yeah. yeah and much less than a Ranger. So. <laughs> Very interesting vehicle. When are we actually going to see Mavericks on the road? Did they say? Uh, they just said this fall. This That's fall. All they, yeah, said, yeah. More like a traditional fall intro for it. But uh, if you're interested in seeing anything more about it, we've got quite a bit on our website. And, and uh, there's stories everywhere. Uh, it's an interesting vehicle. The front end just, you know, it's. I'm glad it looks like a truck, but it kind of looks like a homely truck. It's just not, it doesn't do much for me. That It almost looks like a, knock, huh? a knockoff Ford in a way. Like, I don't know. It almost has like Korean styling from a few years ago. When, remember the Nissan NV full-size van when that <laughs> yes. came out? It had that really cartoonish looking yeah. front. It's, it's reminiscent of that. It is, it is. Well, but a grill's easily changed if it's not, I'm sure it will matter to most people anyway. Uh, let's move on. And Greg, I'm going to turn things over to you. The 2022, this is a dual uh, Toyota Corolla Cross and the Lexus NX is getting redone. Tell us about the uh, Corolla Cross. What is it and why is it basically a, a, a new entry level vehicle, perhaps for Toyota? 
as as a bit of a background, I was invited down to Plano, Texas, which is where Toyota's headquarters are now. Uh, beautiful campus. I've never been there before. I don't think a lot of people have been there in general. It was like their first event of this kind. And the American manufacturers will do this. They'll invite journalists to their facility and be like, here's everything we have coming down the pike. And that's basically what this was. So um, it started with the big news on the Toyota side of the Corolla Cross, which is an all new vehicle, obviously has the, it's under the Corolla badge. This is a crossover, sits below the RAV4. Uh, it's I, it's noticeably smaller, but not, not like CHR level. They barely sell any of those CHRs. Uh, and this I think is eventually gonna take over for that. I don't know how long the CHR will last with this thing around. But, but it's the same chassis as the CHR, right? uh that i cannot confirm I, I i think it is the same underpinnings at least that's what i'm i'm under the impression of although it's bigger so this is a they, tall wagon like the matrix used to be kind of that's what i first thought but it looks just like a scaled down rav4 it, yeah. it's literally a mini rav4 and yeah i mean to be brutally honest with you they the day i was with them uh last wednesday it was like being at an auto show. I went from press conference to press conference from 8 a.m. till 4 p.m. And that's not okay. an exaggeration. So I was hit with so much information that some of it just honestly went right through my ears. Uh, but this was still one of the bigger the bigger pieces. So if you look at it, like Robinson said, it's almost exactly as he described it, a uh, mini RAV4, familiar grill. And it, it, it kind of ties into the Corolla inside um, the material quality, I, I crawled in it. We couldn't drive it. I could only crawl in and, and touch things uh, like I normally do in cars. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's it's not luxury. I mean, we've kind of gotten to see Toyota come out of their shell with like luxury and the Venza and things like that. This, this definitely is more of like the uh, economy oriented interior. There is some technology, standard Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. <laughs> available wireless charging, USB ports, uh, but it's definitely aimed at a Corolla owner who is growing out of their Corolla and needs something bigger, but might not necessarily want to pay the price for something more. Uh, front wheel drive or all wheel drive, two liter, four cylinder engine, uh, 169 horsepower connected to a CVT. I know not many people are happy about that, but that's just what it is. It uh, helps with fuel economy, which for front wheel drive is 32 miles per gallon combined. This is estimated and 30 miles combined uh, for the all wheel drive model. Yeah, that's um, pretty, actually pretty good. So and for... you, you can option it up like XLEs. You can have a pretty nice one with a, a power lift gate. Like I said before, wireless CarPlay. So they do, they're able to throw in some of the technology that I think people in this class want, buyers in this class are going to want. It's just not, and it's a lot like Toyota is in general, just pretty conservative, but I, everything you want is there. And um, so, yeah, that was it besides, uh, you know, they also, Toyota had the new 86 there. I got to ride in that on the track, but the other big news came from uh, Lexus, shocker. It's another crossover. And uh, <laughs> this is the all new NX. We, I hope, been well, a, hopefully it's better than the last one. 
And it is, uh, by all accounts, what I've seen, it is a lot better than the previous one. So much so that they are uh, debuting their all new media interface in here, Hmm. which kind of goes to show where they, what they're putting their money into SUV wise. It's not necessarily the RX, which for years, decades was their, their SUV, their bread and butter. Now it's the NX. They're they're debuting their all new multimedia interface, which does away with that terrible trackpad thing. Thank you. Which they've admitted was bad. <laughs> and uh, so we're up to a 14 inch screen that's available, standard 9.8. It's a touch screen. Uh, you can directly touch it. It's fine. Uh, and uh, they've put a lot of effort into voice uh, control. So you say, hey, Lexus, it responds. You can do change climate, do all kinds of things in there. Um, But this NX is not just a refresh. I mean, it is basically all new from the ground up. Uh, They've uh, restyled it, which was already an okay looking uh, SUV. Now it looks a lot better. But if you'll notice in the back, they went to a cohesive taillight taillight design. I can't say Mm -hmm. taillight for some reason, where it's almost like Dodge has, where the whole ring goes around all the way across. It's all one long oval. Looks really nice. And they did away with the Lexus badge on the rear. It is now a Lexus script. The Lexus badge is on Mm. the front, but on the back, it is written out Lexus because they say that uh, it provides a more luxurious feel, I guess, because you've seen it on like Porsches. The, the Macan, I think, has it written out. Things like that. So uh, scripting instead of block letters. and that's, Exactly. Uh, okay. All right. Oh, sign me up. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and the powertrains. I haven't even gotten to the powertrain. Don't, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> the uh, 2.4 liter turbo, four cylinder, 350 horsepower, new eight speed transmission, 275 horsepower, zero to 60 in 6.8 seconds, which shaves off quite a bit from the previous. Uh, But the biggest news will be the plug-in hybrid, which uses a 2.5 liter gas engine combined with a new lithium ion battery pack, 36 miles of all electric range. It's decent. Yeah, that's pretty decent. We're talking um, RAV4 prime levels, which I I got to drive that too uh, recently. I think everybody has at Motor Week. And that's quick. So that actually will be the quickest NX, just like the RAV4 is. It's uh, six seconds to 60. Um, but like I said, the to, big thing. You didn't get to drive it, did you? No. And and actually, as we speak of this, is before it's actually been revealed. So uh, when this podcast goes up, uh, it'll be after the embargo date. But I got to see it uh, with the other journalists before they revealed it. My number one question, and we won't know till we actually do a ride and have a ride and drive, is will it ride better? Because I think the old NX just had a terrible ride again because of that um, CHR chassis, I think, or whatever it's called. <laughs> like you said, it's not hard to outride the previous NX, but no. they uh, extensively reworked the suspension according to Lexus. Yeah. So I'd have to imagine it's better because. It was. It seemed like the NX was. It's the hot segment, but their offering just wasn't great. So yeah. now that they realize they have to sell well and put together a really good product in this segment, I think that's you know that's what they've done. Hmm. Any other comments from anybody? Boy, that really wild about everybody. I can see. Well, is the, ahead, is the NX is the NX Rav four size or that's the smaller one? Which one is the UX? Refresh my memory here. 
Oh, maybe I'm getting them confused. Was it the UX that was such a harsh riding vehicle? But I thought the NX was too. Um, well, not. you're not wrong about the NX. You might have been thinking UX. The NX no. I never liked. I thought it was small in all the wrong places, harsh in all the wrong places. It just it seemed like a half-baked attempt from Lexus when they came out with it. And this one, judging by the looks, sounds like they actually like I said before, just put a lot more effort into it. Uh, the UX is smaller. Yeah, that, yeah. the NX is more like RAV4. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think Brian's right. The NX is, bas is basically the same chassis as a RAV4. I, yeah, I can't speak to size a whole lot because that's one they really weren't too cool with us climbing around in yet. It was basically just they showed it to us and told us all about it. And we couldn't even take pictures, actually. So we'll have to rely on all the press photos from them. Yeah, the UX is the subcompact and the NX is the compact, which would bring it in line with the RAV4. You know, that UX, you just never hear about it. It's just like it's the invisible member of their lineup. Mm. But, okay, well, let's move on to something I think would certainly get our enthusiast blood uh, pumping a lot more than either the Maverick or uh, the uh, two SUVs from the Toyota camp. So and that's not invisible. The, what? Certainly not invisible. Certainly not invisible. The 2021 Audi RS7. Dave, it's all yours. Bright red, of course. Yes. Um, yeah, the S7, the A7, the RS7. This is the hot rod of the bunch. They all have that fastback styling, like the is it the CLA Mercedes and the, the C yeah. Dave, CLS. Um, I think this is one of the one of the better one of those fastback styling. I like the styling of it more than BMW Mercedes. Um, it's beautiful, beautiful car. It is beautiful. And it just feels like it's going fast standing still. Mm -hmm. um, I think Audi does a great job inside with their technology features. And the luxury is, is, is new school luxury, not old school cushy luxury like I think Mercedes is. This is, you know, very purposeful and high quality, but not, you know, just laid alone for the sake of luxury it's it's got a purpose and it's very functional uh 591 horsepower and 590 pound feet of torque from a twin turbo v8 that gets your attention immediately um, <laughs> tight handling it feels smaller than it is and for 114,000 to start it should run pretty good and it does um one of the best infotainment systems i think going they have stacked um, 10 and 9-inch screens in the center console, and Audi's uh, virtual cockpit digital gauge cluster is a 12-inch digital screen gauge cluster in the middle. And it all works well. It's not so hard to figure out. You don't lose focus trying to find things while you're driving. It's very intuitive, and I think it does great. I'd, I'd have one if I could afford it. Me too. Yeah, I... It's not only gorgeous, it's not only fast, it not only handles well, but thinking for the future, you know, it could be one of the last V8 powered uh, luxury cars out there. You know, there's probably not going to be a whole lot more of them made. And it's right. a mild hybrid. <laughs> huh? It runs a 48 volt mild hybrid system too. Yes, so. it does. <laughs> Eco-friendly. <laughs> no, it, it's easy to sleep on how much performance that yeah. car has. It's basically an R8. Yeah. um it wrapped in a luxury car i mean it's it really is an amazing vehicle 
I could certainly see why the $114,000 to start, I think ours was like 125 because it had the black optics package with 22 inch wheels and all that good stuff. It's like, well, okay, that's a lot of money. Why spend, spend right. that on a car? And I think this is one of the few times I would say that's money well spent because I could drive this thing all day and night forever. And I hate to say it, but so many of the high-end performance cars that, and these are cars that we've gotten in, not necessarily, you know, limited production exotics, they're one hundred and forty, hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And so, when you measure the performance of the RS7 against some of those, I'm not going to call it a bargain, but it certainly matches up very well. And it's it's adult size; you can sit in the thing and be comfortable. And not be crammed into something, you know. They're fun to drive for a weekend, but for for a month at a time, give me a big car like that any day. Well, especially you, Dave, and you, Greg. You're both very tall, so. Yeah. Well, anyway, I think we had to pick uh, pick the one we'd like to have as our a dream car in our lot of, of the ones we've covered today. I think it would be the RS7. Those three, yeah, I'd take that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's move on to our lightning round. Um, this is an interesting little tidbit that's uh, kind of an offshoot of, of COVID-19. As the U.S. sees the light at the end of the tunnel after the pandemic, we're still feeling the global effects, like everything seems to be in short supply for one reason or another these days, and blaming it on the pandemic. Uh, Automotive News reports that GM is going to be building some of their very profitable 2021 full-size pickups and SUVs without the automatic stop-start engine feature uh, due to the shortage of microchips. And that's the feature which basically saves up to about 7% in fuel economy. Uh, GM says it will have only a minor effect on their corporate fuel economy and buyers will not have the option to add it later, but they will get a $50 credit on the, on the sticker price. Big, big news or big whoop, folks? Big whoop. I turn them off whenever possible when I drive a car. I don't like the the delayed reaction when I want to go. I want to have the car already running. Just that half a second annoys yeah. me. Yeah, just following along on that, I think they really missed a great marketing opportunity here because I know there are a ton of people out there that would have paid $50 not to have yeah. auto stop start. So if they would have made it optional to pay $50 and have it removed, they could have made a ton of money instead of giving everyone 50 bucks. Yeah, I have people all the time asking me, like, can I get it? Uh, can I pay to not have it? So can I turn it off permanently? Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen any polls, but I bet if someone did a poll, you know, the most unpopular new feature on modern cars is automatic stop start. It's got to be number one. Yeah, the golf cart feature. Yeah. They, <laughs> it's it's a big deal if you're some sort of obscure gm suv or pickup collector because you can go back to 2021 and be like i got one of you know 100 models or whatever that didn't have right. the auto stop start feature good stuff on it man yeah you know it just makes that vehicle a little less complex and in the long run that's probably going to be uh, a positive i wonder because i have a new vehicle that's got auto stop start and some auto stop start vehicles actually had a second battery that most people didn't know about the others have to be have to use very high-end uh batteries so you can't just if the battery poops out you've got to be very particular about what you replace it with 
Was it uh, AGM batteries, I think? And um, the glass mat ones, uh, I think that's required in a lot of them. So, you know, maybe these trucks will get by with a little lower cost of ownership over their life as well. It'd be a win-win. It would be a good, if somebody would decide now to track it and and find out like real world uh, advantages of having auto stop start or even the uh, the long-term maintenance effects of them. Cause that's really what a lot of our questions come from. It's like, well, what about the extra maintenance? Cause the engine's right. stopping and starting. So if somebody wanted to start like a longitudinal study right now on 2020, 2021s with and without auto stop start, now would be the time. Not me though. Somebody who's good. With <laughs> I was going to say, are you volunteering? <laughs> Delegate that to somebody. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know who that'll be. Maybe some uh, somebody wants to write uh, some obscure journal that will make them famous. We have a viewer question from Tom. He says, I was wondering if the height of the sidewall on a tire has an effect on the ride of the vehicle. Are tires with a 70 sidewall aspect ratio more forgiving than short sidewalls such as 40, 30, and even 20. Uh, I think I know the answer to this one, but I'm going to let somebody else say. Yes. <laughs> um, yes just much flexing the tire alone gives you so much more uh, absorption of, of energy. Uh, pumps in the road, potholes, especially. You drive any length of time in one of those uh, Porsche or sports car with a tiny little sidewalls, it's like harsh as hell <laughs> not to mention they always look flat they do <laughs> rubber bands um they handle very, go ahead well deflection for handling but you pay off with a harsher ride it's just physics can't have both and the worst of both worlds is if you get a low sidewall and then you turn around and get low sidewall with run flats oh. because they have to stiffen up the sidewall even more for that yeah um I, I've gotten the question, and maybe somebody wants to speak to it. Why do manufacturers put low-profile tires on vehicles? Handling is one thing, but isn't a lot of it just looks because they can put bigger wheels? Right, looks. They do. Back in the day, 90s and 80s, it was plus one, plus two sizing to get a bigger wheel. It can get better, bigger brakes, better brake cooling. It also looks cooler to have a 17 versus a 15 or a 19 versus a 17 have that that look about it but they do offer handling advantages as well decide what you want to do i will say manufacturers have done a pretty good job in the rank and file cars of putting larger wheels and lower profile tires on without compromising the ride too much but you really notice it in a high performance car i guess probably with the computer uh, computer aided suspension systems it compensates a lot for the harshness they can react faster and absorb bumps better than the old just regular shocks could. Yeah, I was going to yeah, touch on that. You know, back in the 80s, so much of your uh, bump absorption was done through the sidewall of the tires. You know, uh, suspension engineers have a much uh, harder job these days. Just this past weekend, uh, one of my cars has got 40 uh, aspect ratios. And I'm walking around it, getting ready to go off for a little bit. They all look fine. As soon as I go about a quarter mile down the road, I get a low tire warning on one of them. 
I get out, take a look at it, can't tell any difference. And it's down <laughs> about, uh, about a third of its air, had a nail. So that is one other disadvantage of low profile tires. You just can't look at them and have any real gauge on whether they've uh, got enough air. Uh, that's one place where the TPMS pays off. Sure. Anybody got a complaint or uh, something you want to rave about in our rants and raves section? Before I do. Up, the hand is recognized. I've uh, <laughs> I've been bearing this one for a while. Other things come up, but uh, I don't know if, how you guys feel about when you get into certain uh, car manufacturers who use um, their drive modes where they have normal sport eco whatever it is but then they're starting to throw in these like adaptive ones where it's like a little bit of everything at once i think kia and hyundai call it smart um i'm blanking on the other manufacturers but i have found it as anything but smart i would rather just pick a drive mode and stick with it because it, when it's constantly trying like if you it thinks you're on the throttle just enough then it wants to throw you in a sport mode and you're not ready for it or if you're like, you do want it to be engaging and you want that response, it's like not there. So in my experience, it's just never in the setting I want it to be in. And that's hmm. what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to be ready whenever you are, but I don't it think that's really the case. Behind. Yeah, so just, I mean, it, my recommendation is if you have one of those cars, just pick a mode you want and just do it yourself. Stay there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I find a, a lot of this gadgetry, it reminds me of when they first uh, came out with the self-shifting automatic transmissions. It's kind of like a one-trick pony. You did it once or twice, it's kind of, okay, let's say it was a little fun, and then you never used it again, or you just forgot about it, or you decided you didn't like it, whatever. Yeah. Sometimes I think they overthink these things, trying to find new features where they really don't need them. The old slapstick, they called it, or something. The old slapstick. Stick. Yeah. <laughs> Stick. Yeah, and a Dodge Intrepid. It was really a performance experience. Right. <laughs> All right, everybody. We're going to wrap this up. I want to thank uh, Dave, Brian, and Greg uh, for being uh, our able uh, contestants, as it were, attendees on our podcast, number 257. Also, I want to thank. Uh, the folks behind the scene, Jim Bigwood, our audio engineer, who uh, polishes everything up uh, before it goes out. Our podcast producer, of course, Greg here, and our podcast creator, Bob Mixta, and all our Mixter, all of you Mixta. out there, thank you for Mixter. He's, he's from Mixter. Boston. Mixter. To all of you out there, thanks very much for being a part of Motor Week for all these years. And if you are new to Motor Week or you've discovered us on uh, social media, uh, and you want to see more about the show, we do have our motorweek.org website. You can catch us every week on most public television stations around the country. Go to our website. It says about the show up in the corner. Pull it down. Put in your zip code. The airtimes will pop up. And also our friends over at the Motor Trend Cable Channel, they run a new show every uh, Tuesday, usually at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. And to all of you millions that are watching us every month, on our youtube.com slash MotorWeek website. Doesn't matter where you want to go on social media, whatever screen you've got, MotorWeek tries to make sure you've got the car info that you need. With that commercial, I'm John Davis. Thanks for all of us at MotorWeek and thank you for being a part of MotorWeek. You've been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com 
rockauto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch Motorweek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.